Welcome to episode 682 with my guest Ron Placone. You are listening to a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. There you have it. You've been warned. Thank you to those of you who have signed up for uh, Patreon. Um, we for If you've never been to the page there, Patreon, I'm sure you guys have been to Patreon itself, but whether or not you've been to my page, I don't know. But there's all different kinds of tiers starting at... Uh, yeah, tears like sadness, <laughs> starting at a, a dollar a month uh, and going up from there. And there's you can get behind-the-scenes stuff. I post pictures of Gracie, pictures of my woodworking. At the $20 a month, you can join the Sunday afternoon Zoom support group slash hangout. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Some awesome people there. A lot of support, vulnerability. Um, honesty. I really, really enjoyed doing it. And I had mentioned some months ago when I did a mental health presentation uh, and recorded video of it. And uh, I am going to, in the next week, get around to posting that on Patreon as well. Um, what am I forgetting? I think that's it. But we have plateaued with uh, people signing up for Patreon. And it would be awesome because we need the help. Let's get to some surveys. This is from The Voice in Your Head Survey, and this is filled out by Kiki. And what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? Uh, the list is long, but as of late, there are some specific ones. I tell myself that I'm not good enough to make my business successful, and I will fail and prove my mother right. I tell myself that I will always be single because I'm too broken to love and be loved correctly. Man, I can't imagine how many people are nodding their heads right now and going, oh my God, oh my God, that mean voice, that self-defeating mean voice, and especially when it gets implanted by somebody in, uh, in childhood. That's a hard one to, to undo. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention about uh, Patreon is uh, I am going to be uh, doing some surveys uh, this this week, uh, Patreon only, just a couple, and I'm going to post the audio to those on uh, Patreon. This is from the Happy Moment Survey, and this is filled out by Tommy, and uh, he writes, I had a lot of driving to do today, so I queued up the most recent episode for the ride, which was number 681 with Topaz Adizas. During the episode, someone mentioned how good and synchronous it feels when a song ends just as you're pulling into the driveway. In parentheses, I think it was a listener survey. I put on the podcast and then drove 53 miles to go to my favorite retro video game store so I could poke around. From there, I drove 28 miles to my parents' house so we could eat lunch and play some board games. Along the way, I stopped to get gas and accidentally moved the timeline of the podcast so I had to fumble with the 15-second skip function to get back where I left off. 
I got stuck in some random and seemingly causeless traffic on the way to my parents' house and decided to take a different road than I originally planned. As I was pulling down their street and you started your closing monologue, the bumper music and outro soundbite played just as I was turning into their driveway and I turned off the car as the podcast faded out. All of the variables between driving speed, traffic, and accidentally skipping around the podcast caused my 81-mile journey to take the exact same amount of time as the episode. I could feel the universe winking. I love that. I love those moments. So, so easy to feel like when you're having a bad day, like, like the universe is just out to humiliate you. This is from the Psych Ward Experiences Survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Suicidal Turtle. Uh, She writes, I was hospitalized back in Hong Kong for suicidal ideation. To be honest, they would lock you up for either self-harm or suicidal ideation because the suicide rates are so high, and they would rather lock people up than have the society learn how to tolerate mentally unstable humans. Though I was 17 at that time, I was sent to the adult ward. I was there for 10 days, but it would be much longer if my parents hadn't begged the doctors to discharge me. Being there did not help. I was hospitalized back in late 2020 and COVID was a big thing. The psych ward common area is closed and visitors are prohibited. A room contains 10 beds. We can't leave our rooms unless we're going to the bathroom. The first 24 hours was hell. I was strip searched for self-harm scars and all my clothing, including my underwear, was given to my parents. They restrained me to my bed by the hip and gave me a plastic, quote, pan, unquote, to do my business in. I had to ask for everything, and medical assistants treated me like I was a burden, and they actually called me an inconvenience. Jesus. I got scolded for asking for water and finding a set of clothes that actually fits me. I was bathed by medical assistants because they said I spent too much time in my shower cubicle. I cried so much during my stay, but I was told the more I cry, the longer I will stay. So I bottled everything up. That is just so fucked. I've seen people being restrained and seen medical assistants forcing an NG tube down a lady's throat because she wasn't eating. I realized the medical assistants, who don't know much English, are incredibly racist towards anyone who isn't Asian. They don't bother to translate anything, including wake-up calls and mealtime. I, a Hong Kong local, had to translate for an Irish girl, which honestly wasn't bad, comparing to communicating with a Colombian lady who knew little English. I tried my best, but honestly, I I was barely, barely passing Duolingo Spanish level one at that point. The psych ward is just an amplified version of how backwards Hong Kong could be to the people who need help the most, despite being portrayed as an international city. I assume that non-Chinese people I have met in the ward had left Hong Kong. I, having experienced that, plus other reasons, have left Hong Kong for university in the UK. Thank you for that, and I, I, I hope you are doing better. And um, it's always nice to get a peek into the world of people's mental health outside of uh, the United States. 
And thank you for filling that out. This is from the, uh, this is a fairly new survey called uh, Comment on Someone's Survey. And this was filled out by a guy who calls himself Scandinavian Spruce. Uh, that was the name when I was a male dancer in Denmark. <laughs> I could not resist. I could not resist. It's just sitting there. It's a ball on a tee. The survey handed me a bat and said, what do you want to do? Um, and uh, he writes, episode 681 with Topaz Adizes. Before the interview, uh, the fear survey filled out by Cal. I really relate to your survey, Cal. I'm also a cisgendered straight male, and ever since I was a child, I've struggled with fitting in, especially among boys and men. I'm a highly sensitive person. I've always been more emotional than my peers, and as a child, I never managed to fit in. During the majority of primary school, I had more or less no friends. I was occasionally bullied. I remember feeling really different and just wanting to be a, quote, normal boy, unquote. Still today, I find it a lot harder to make friends with men than women. I do feel that I am a man, but still I don't feel that I fit in with the norm of what a man is. I have, however, never been sexually or emotionally abused, and I'm very sorry to hear that you've been taken advantage of in those ways. As a teenager, I started finding male friends who were also on the sensitive side. These were people who also loved hugs, who loved deep talks, who were sensitive and thoughtful just like me. I believe these people have made a, a major positive impact in my life. I've struggled my whole life with feeling like I fit in and still do. But today I'm so much more comfortable with who I am. I found people, both men and women, who value the same things I do in life. One of the most profound realizations to me has been understanding that sometimes people just don't click and that's okay. Might sound trivial, but that realization helped me to stop wasting energy on blaming myself for being weird or different and instead focusing on getting to know who I really am and finding people that I really do connect with. What I want to say is your people are out there. There are so many sensitive, thoughtful men out there. You are not alone. And there are people who will understand you. I wish you all the best. I love that. I love that. And Cal, if you're listening, um, the, the guy that filled this survey out, out, uh, had emailed me and asked if he could get in touch with you. And I said, well, the surveys are filled out anonymously. But now that I have his email, Cal, if you're listening, if you want to connect with him, email me and uh, you can do it through the website and um, I can connect you too. I love that so much. We're going to take a quick break and see if we have any sponsors. And finally, this is from the Love Survey, and this is filled out by Zombie Sparkle. And uh, they write, three things that make me smile no matter what. Glitter. Since I was a little girl, I've always loved the magic of glitter. I love buying sparkly shoes and accessories, almost always in pink. It's a simple reminder for me to appreciate beauty and to embrace the playful and whimsical part of myself. My love for sparkly things has become part of my identity. And if someone at work sees a pink sparkly pen, they know it's mine. I used to try and hide it because I thought it made me seem like a child. But these days, I embrace the sparkle within. P.S. I'm writing this wearing sparkly nail polish. Soft blankets. Plush, 
luxurious faux fur blankets are my absolute number one comfort item. Whenever I've had a bad day or feel completely overwhelmed, my boyfriend will wrap me up like a giant burrito in a soft, fluffy blanket, and it instantly calms me down. I often walk through homeware stores and touch all the blankets to try and get the softest one possible. One day, I will find a blanket so soft that the world will implode. So if that happens, know that I went out with a smile. (laughs) It's so interesting that you uh, filled that out, or that I just happened to read it right now, uh, because Saturday night I had a hockey game and my girlfriend came and she froze her ass off and could not get warm. And uh, we were doing laundry and she was laying on the couch watching TV, still cold with a, with a blanket on. And so I took all the bedding that was nice and hot and I made her into a warm burrito and it made her so happy and it made me happy because I love you know, so much of the time I'm so wrapped up in my own bullshit that I forget um, to, I don't know, do nice things for for other people. And it just felt so good to see her warm up and to, and to just to think of that thing to do. It was such a, a little thing, but it made her so happy. <laughs> she laid there for probably the next hour. And uh, I don't know. I just love it. And then finally, uh, Zombie Sparkle writes, uh, black clothing. I am so into black clothes. I love how easy it is to style. Everything matches it, and you can accessorize it to add any color you want. My mother used to tell me I'm too pale to wear black and that it makes me look washed out. But now I'm a whole grown-up, so suck it, Mom. I can do what I want. Also, I look great, and I'm not washed out. I'm just in high contrast. I like adding girly accessories to a badass black outfit so it enhances my zombie princess aesthetic. But my number one pleasure of midnight-hued dresses, I can spill coffee on it and still look pretty well put together. That feeling of being trapped in your own life with no way out? All my altars have different handwriting, different affects. I'm somebody in prison. My mom taught me about rape. And I'm nobody on the streets. Before she taught me about love. Nobody will ever love me enough. There's two lies. A kind pimp. Yes. The secret shameful life at home. Happiness isn't the goal. That you always just don't talk about. And then there's the front. The goal is meaning. It's hard to go into the dark places. I should have leaned into that feeling and gotten curious about it. Recognize when your fears are driving your behaviors. What you resist gets louder. And This episode is sponsored by Cerebral. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online, you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. And I just uh, signed up for Cerebral and had an appointment this week with a prescriber uh, and a therapist. And uh, I was very pleased with both. They were intelligent, knowledgeable, um, nice. And so I have uh, more appointments with them coming up. And uh, so far, so good. 
To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving our listeners 15% off their first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code MENTAL. And it's very important that you use the code MENTAL because then they'll know that you came from this podcast. Uh, that's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L dot com slash podcast. And again, use the code MENTAL to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Run toward them. She said, you first. And I said, I might be gay. I was with a girl. And I said, and what do you have to tell me? She said, I'm moving to Florida and this is my last session. <laughs> I'm here with a uh, creator podcaster, comedian, writer, tap dancer, grave digger, <laughs> nuclear physicist. I wish. Ron Placone. Good to see you, bud. Good to see you, Paul. It's been too long, man. Ron and I uh, have performed comedy uh, together many, many times. Um, uh, but we're, we're not going to talk about political satire and this. We're going to talk about the... The fuel for its fire, anger. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Can you do satire without deep-seated burning anger at the way things are? Exactly. Well, I feel like that's putting it to good use. Yes. That's like the productive use for it. Like, like I really like just the fire metaphor in general, where it's it you know it kind of is like a fire, and that fire can be used to warm a house or cook food, or that fire can burn down a bunch of shit. <laughs> And you try to be the former. Yep. Yeah. I, I look at it as my picket sign that this mm. is how I choose to um, voice what I what I feel. And it's sad when somebody misinterprets satire and doesn't get that you are embodying what you dislike and are protesting against. Right. You know, or what you find, you know, ridiculous, annoying, banal. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Uh, where where were you raised? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's right. You, yeah. you Ron walked in with a Pittsburgh Penguins backpack. I uh, did. Um, and what was uh, what was the the sitch like growing up in in your house? Well, so I grew up in uh, you know my family's cool. We, we uh, Italian American, um, and there was a lot of uh, that. That was a kind of the neighborhood I grew up in, like a lot of Italian Americans, some some German Americans, like a lot of just, you know, Euro centric type neighborhood, uh, Catholic church on the corner, uh, that kind of thing. Went to Catholic school. Um, and as far as anger goes, for me, it just sort of I always remember it being there. And, and, and I don't know how much of it has to do with necessarily how I grew up. I, I mean, I, I guess that's probably part of it because I, I did grow up in a situation where I don't know if it was necessarily tempers flaring, but people kind of wore their heart on their sleeves and would just kind of, you know, let it loose when they had to. And it took me a while. And by a while, I mean, like, literally going away to college, you know, before I realized that not everybody operated that way. Like, right. <laughs> like not everybody just sort of yells at each other. Right. And it would be fair. Would it be fair to say that not all emotions were worn on the heart sleeve? The the more tender ones were kind of with 
withheld the vulnerability, the I'm scared, uh, you hurt my feelings. Um, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. definitely a little bit. I, I mean, not so much like in my family family, but but in the world at large, yeah, there, there was definitely uh, a little bit like that. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's just that sort of like Midwestern, hardworking, blue collar, you know, like three yards in the dirt type uh, life. You know, you don't put a bow on a loss, which uh, which in some ways I, I think there is something to be said for that mentality. I mean, I think it in some ways it instills a good work ethic and stuff like that. But I, I think in other ways it could also be a little uh, a little toxic too. Yeah, especially when you play sports with sure. those guys. And yeah. you're just like, oh, that guy's dad didn't hug him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or totally. that guy's mom or dad's uh, love was probably uh, conditional. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I mean, in some cases, and it, it certainly wasn't like this as a whole. I mean, I, I right. was a theater kid in high school, and, and that was very much uh, a big thing, you know. But but in some level, there was also this sort of, oh, you want to you want to be creative for a living? You, oh, you have a problem. What is wrong with you? What is wrong that's, with you? Do you not have the a hobby. realistic picture of life? <laughs> and there is a slice of that that is true. Sure. It's like you – there's a good chance you're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to hustle. Um, but, you know, fulfillment such an um, – important thing so so give me some uh snapshots uh from from childhood that you feel like are representative of i don't know your experience your view of yourself the world around you where you fit in or didn't fit in some snapshots okay so so this is one when i you know because i've been working on anger my my whole life like as long as i can remember and one time I, I, I filled out a survey and I, I was seeing a counselor and this was um, this was in graduate school. And the reason it was in graduate school was because I had really good health insurance because I was a grad student, <laughs> USA. But um, so I filled out this survey and, and they did this sort of analysis and they said some of the some of your answers and some of the things that you've, you know, kind of experienced and, and the problems that you've had controlling your anger – you sound like someone who may have had some head trauma. And really? well, that's what they said. And and so I thought about that and, and, I, and I thought I'd like br- bring it up today. I don't know if these two things are related or not. And I don't think we'll ever know. But I do remember when they said that to me and I kind of thought about it because I, I didn't have a moment where I, you know, split my head open or anything like that. Like I don't have anything. Like, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I broke a couple – fingers as a kid playing sports or whatever, but never anything like that. But I do remember this one time I was in second grade and I, I went to a small, you know, Catholic school mm-hmm. and they kept, for some reason, we, our lunch boxes, we would put them in this laundry basket and then go get them at the end of the day. I don't know how they wound up in the laundry basket. I don't remember the exact process, but I remember you would go and get your lunchbox at the end of the day in the laundry basket, and the laundry basket was placed right under the chalkboard ledge. You know, they'd have the chalkboards with, like, the metal mm-hmm. ledge, mm-hmm. Um, which was a really bad place for it. <laughs> like, looking back on it, I'm like, why did it, an adult make that decision? But... That's where it was. And so I remember one day I went to get my lunchbox like you do, just like any other day. And this was at the end of the day when kids are getting ready to leave. I'm getting ready to go home. 
And I just sort of jerked my head up, not realizing where I was Mm -hmm. in the scheme of things. And I conked my freaking head hard on that chalk ledge. And, And again, like kids are getting ready. Kids are getting their coats on. No one even noticed. And so I go over to my, I, I, you know, I just kind of shake it off. You know, I'm, I'm like eight years old. I'm invincible, right? And uh, and I'm just walking around. One of the students goes, "What happened to you?" And I go, "What?" And they're like, "Go see the teacher right away." So I go up to the teacher, and the teacher goes, "Oh my god, what happened to you?" And I go, "I, boy, I hit my head." And she goes, "Are are you okay?" And I'm like, "I, I think so." She's and you know, I, in fairness to her, she probably didn't know what to do because we were literally leaving school. Mm-hmm. The nurse might have been gone already. What do you do? Like, like, like right. you you can't keep this kid, you know. So, right. so she probably didn't really know what to do. Were you bleeding? I'm just going to move your water. So Let's I was go. not bleeding. Um, but what I had, and I found out when I got home, I had like an egg, like literally just it looked like a physical egg on. My soft, soft boiled, hard boiled. Oh yeah, hard boiled man. I mean, that was <laughs> <laughs> it was my first time having egg on my face, right? And and uh, so I had this big lump, and my mom sees it and she goes, "Oh my god, what happened?" And so I, you know, again, I have no idea if that's related, right. but but it, it was the only thing I could think of where I'm like, I don't know, like did hit in my head, right. and and you know, we just sort of like did the whole ice on it thing. I mean, I didn't have concussion symptoms, I guess. Right. And so it was just, you know, ice on it, you know, for uh, a week or so, and, and that was it. So what were some of the symptoms of your anger? And if you can remember any uh, episodes uh, from childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, where you're like, wow, that was kind of out of control. Yeah, I mean, I can think of, you know, just a lot, and, and I want to just package how I share it, you know what I mean? But But just times where... You know, especially as I would get into young adulthood and, you know, college and stuff like that, when you'd be drinking heavily every weekend, just arguments I would get into and, you Were know. Were you an angry drunk? Uh, I could be. Okay. Yeah, I, I could be. Like, it'd be like if there was some kind of trigger, I, I would just switch off and I would become very, um, very kind of in my bubble and, and I wouldn't want to talk to anybody and, and I would just go into just this weird place mm-hmm. um and i remember especially around you know the 2004 election not to bring politics back into this but i remember getting into very loud arguments um with alcohol being involved about you know the state of affairs um and probably taking it too far and you know it has really harmed relationships in my life it has cost me friends it has cost me girlfriends and you know i have been in various stages of my life where okay i'm either going to control this or it's going to control me and i gotta choose and so then i would take action and i would you know either go into counseling or i would just just do things on my own take courses uh read books and, you know, the one beautiful thing about it is there's so many resources available to you, um, especially now, you know, with, with, with the Libby app and the Internet and, and everything else. You can find a lot of stuff to help you because it, it's, a, it's a lifelong journey, you know. What, what were some of the things that you, um, that you learned that helped you cope that were outside of therapy? And then I want to have that same question. Uh, what 
if any, were some of the things you learned in therapy, mm-hmm. merely the processing of things that happened to you or gaining insights or, or tools. But let's start with the ones from things you read or things outside of therapy. So, you know, some of these things sound very simple, but they help counting to 10, breathing it in, uh, thinking about, okay, why am I mad? Like, like, like what's that's kind a of, huge one. That's a huge one. And, and I've been, and still to this day, like I'm learning so much about just things that really irritate me <laughs> and why they irritate me. And so often our crystal ball is involved because we think, oh, if this is happening, then this is going to happen and right. then it's going to lead to this. And so often it's just good fantasy right. on our part. And then we base our feelings based on our crystal ball, which is proven to be pretty broken. But go yeah. ahead. Well, and then we spiral, right? right? I mean, that's usually how it happens. And so, you know, identifying those triggers, identifying, you know, what really causes that. Um, what were some of the things that you looked inward and discovered, oh, I'm getting mad because of this and we're able to diffuse it just by looking at it objectively? I don't really like not having control. <laughs> I really that, that don't. is going into next year's montage. Brooke, <laughs> would you please make note of that and the time code? Yes. Buddy, you have just summed up the 13 years of the podcast <laughs> into one sentence. Yeah. I mean, and again, I know it's like these things kind of sound kind of simple, but you have to do the steps with that simplicity. And, and so I'm realizing all these things. And the theme is I really don't like not having control, you know, like I'm really tired. For instance, I'm really tired of the car culture of Los Angeles. Now, some people might think, well, hang on. When you're driving a car, you're in control of the car. Yes. Of traffic. No. And it's not driving the car that makes me mad. It's the traffic that makes me mad, which is not unique to me. That's actually unique to every being on the freaking planet. But when it becomes such a part of your life and such a part of your day to day, that's a big time stressor. And, and you know, it's something my wife and I talk about. And, and we sometimes talk about how, gee, maybe in the next chapter of our lives, we want to be in a situation where that's not as much of a thing. Um, you know, does she ever call you on the way you act when you're in the car? <laughs> <laughs> Never. No, no, of course she does. Totally. I and what mean, are some uh, of the things this that, morning? That, that she that she will what are some of the things you do and then how does she address it when it happens? Well, what I will do is, is sometimes I will just sort of fly off the handle and then rant about everything else. Like, like I'll just sort of like like that will be the catalyst for me to be like, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of driving all the time. I'm so tired. I'm tired of California. By the way, the real thing is I'm tired of the United States. Let me tell you something about capitalism and how warped it is. And then she's just like, I just want to go to work, dude. Um, And, and then, you know, we, we kind of talk it out (laughs) and i realize i'm like yeah this isn't how i want to be that's got to be exhausting for her yeah no kidding i mean exhausting for you as well (laughs) to have those jolts of energy and you know uh, negativity shooting through you um but yeah that that has and i have been the loved one of somebody with anger issues and it can really be exhausting and certainly you want to be there for them and allow them to be human. But when it's a pattern that begins to erode 
uh, your feeling of enjoying their company, then I think it's it's time to address well, it. Well, and there's that is actually me, and I apologize. Mm-hmm. No worries, I got my my phone on as uh, as well. I actually have mine on Do Not Disturb, but this is you know what? A- Let's just make phone calls right now. Fuck the listener. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's an auto thing I have every Sunday through, um, yeah, sorry about that. There is a lot of difficulty when you see yourself draining another person. Yeah. It's very hard and, and you re- you don't want to, and you know, and, and you know how it feels because whether you are the drainee or, you know, mm-hmm. like, like you've been on both ends of it. I have had other situations in my life where I've been with people who have drained me, who like we would just wake up in the morning and they would just drain me. And obviously things didn't work out. Um, so when you're the one doing the training and you can tell it really sucks, I'm, I'm not saying that I drain my wife every day or anything like that, but, oh, but you know, it's, she, that you do <laughs> some private conversation. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's something that when you when you're outside of yourself, which is, I think, really how this stuff works. A lot of times you're outside of yourself and you realize you're like, oh, man, I'm losing my cool. This isn't I don't want to I'm going to say something I regret. And then you do. And, you know, and then you have to fix it later. You have to fix the, you know, neighborhood that you burned down, you know, or the the tree that you burned down, whatever it is. Um, And next time, you know put that fire on the stove, you know, like, like use it to, to cook something beautiful, you know, use it to write a script, use it to write some stand up. use mm-hmm. it to, um, you know, do something creative, make a video or something. Uh, don't use it to, you know, like say things you're going to regret later. Don't use it to j- just spiral out of control and just have a bad temper. And, uh, you know, I, I, every, every hockey team that I've played on has a couple of guys who have a, a switch that, sure. that flips and whether they feel disrespected or there's a bad call or something and you see that fuse break and then they start taking penalties. And one of the things I always say to them is put your anger in your legs. Just yeah. skate hard. Yeah. Just skate hard. Absolutely. Because you're affecting the rest of us. You know, you're taking us out of the game when you take three penalties in a row and then get kicked out but go yeah. ahead i cut you off well so i love hockey too and and i'll, I'll tell you this is just a fun aside one time i was uh i i watch a lot of hockey games and my cat will sort of sit with me and, and it's to the point you know she's 17 years old so so i think at this point in her life she probably associates the sound of a hockey game with something soothing because she just thinks my human's going to be on a couch for a long period of time. Oh, and it, yeah, and, and it is beautiful. But sometimes you get really into a game. And one time I just, my wife was just was just going around like, um, I don't know what she was just doing something in the kitchen or whatever. And uh, I said to my wife, my cat's name is Lucy. And, and I said, I noticed that Lucy stops purring whenever the penguins are losing. <laughs> and my wife just looks in and she goes, yes, yeah, so do I. <laughs> So sometimes you get a little into it, but but honestly, these days, to tell you the truth, I, I just really enjoy watching hockey, and and then soccer is the other one. I like following the USL, and I like following Syria A. Like my team there is Force Napoli, and uh, sometimes I, I just kind of think about it and take a step back, and it's like, dude, I get to just take a break for a few hours and just enjoy the, this game. That's such a beautiful game. Not everyone's that lucky. So it's cooler when your team wins, but just being able to sit and enjoy it, that's already, I've already won. And and the thing that, that I see that link these two things, watching sports and getting frustrated and traffic and relationships is 
the danger of expectations. Mm. And how do we balance not being a doormat, but also not expecting too much from people or circumstances or, you know, people, places and things that that to me is one of the greatest challenges in life is how do we dream, but also not have expectations that are going to put us in a bad mood. And where is the line between that? I I don't know. That's a hard line because uh, that is a hard line because it's like, you know, people who have met me more recent in my life, when they find this out about me, that that like, oh, yeah, I, I do anger management work. Uh, sometimes they say, I'm shocked to hear I, that. I was when you told me. Oh, really? Me. Yeah. 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 And people say that, which I... Which I, by the way, I talk about this in my act now. I really appreciate that compliment when people say that. I know it's coming from a good place, but it's sort of funny to me because it's almost like finding out somebody is in AA and going, oh, I've never seen you hammered. That's crazy. I've never seen you. Oh, you're a sex addict? I've never yes. seen you just drop your pants and jerk off in front of all of us. You know, like it's almost like that where it's just like, well, yeah, you've never seen because it, it's, it's, I, there's a lot behind the scenes and that's why you've never seen that side of me, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and anger can be addictive. You know, the, yeah. that rush of adrenaline, that's, that self-righteousness to me is a drug. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah. You were saying. So, so my point in bringing all that up is, is like, yeah, I mean, it, it took me a lot of, it, it took me years to kind of get to the place where I'm at now where I've, you know, I mean, I still have my moments, but I've, you know, made a lot of progress compared to I was to where I was at 10 years ago compared to where I was at 15, 20 years ago. And, um, you know. But now it's like sometimes it'll almost be the other side where it's like, oh, you're such a nice guy that people can kind of walk on you. And it, it, so so finding that line, I'm not saying that happens to me often, but it has happened. Have, have people told you that or you noticed that yourself? I've noticed it myself. Okay. You know, and, and I think it happens to everybody. Like, I'm not unique. Yeah, right. But but now it's sort of like, well, where do you find that line of, of, of being, like, stern but not, you know, like like, like – it's the line we all have to walk of of basically, you know, doing what needs done, being being a professional, being a good colleague, being a good um, co you know co creator, whatever. Um, but also not letting people walk on you yeah. because you're you're just perceived as so laid back right. that that you might not take the work seriously. Like like there's that line to to walk. Yeah, it, it being compassionately and diplomatically self respecting. There you is, go. Is hard especially i think if you were raised in households where needs weren't openly and clearly expressed mm. um diplomatically rather passive aggressively or you know you were called a martyr for you know wanting to do something or for expressing feelings i you i, I see that and have experienced that in my own life but you see it a lot where where there was no kind of emotional intelligence in people's childhoods growing up well if you don't have a template for it how the fuck are you going to know the sentence to say hey that i love you i enjoy our, your company but when you use those words towards me it, it hurts my feelings yeah yeah and especially as a guy it feels like oh my you know i i feel so weak yeah 
Yeah, and, and again, it's like as you're saying this, uh, that wasn't the case for me in my immediate family. Like, like I'm, I'm very close with my parents. I'm very close with my sister. But but going outward and and sort of like the environment that I grew up in, you know, and, and environmentally, for, you know, for lack of a better term to think of off the top of my head, uh, that was definitely there. I, I mean, I have, you know, I, I can even think of you know more distant family members of mine who are still not on speaking terms and it all started with uh you know a a sarcastic comment about a jacket i'm not even kidding paul I, i'm not even kidding i mean it, it's so it, it's so crazy to even wrap my head around wow yeah yeah literally started over a comment about a jacket and that there must are... have been an ugly jacket <laughs> Allegedly, it was. I, I, you know, the, the the worst part is I've never seen the jacket in question, but it was it was a comment about a jacket that escalated to these different parts of the family don't speak to each other. And I, I have to imagine that it wasn't really about the jacket. The jacket was just the final block in Tetris. There had to have been more, but but it's like I'm I'm honestly not hip to it. I mean, I am the guy who lives out in California, you know, so I get everything uh, secondhand. But uh, but yeah. So, so, so environmentally, it's like, yeah, I did witness a lot of that, you know, and especially it's like, I went to an all boys high school, you know, like an all boys Catholic high school in Pittsburgh, where it was like, they took us in a room, uh, when we were freshmen, they took us in a room and they said, look to your left, look to your right. Half these people aren't going to be here by the time you're seniors. And and that was just that was just and how came it true. Went. Oh yeah, I mean we started half was a bit much. I mean I think they were sort of you know like like putting the fear of God in us with half. But we started. I want to say it was closer to two fifty. We finished with a buck eighty three. And what was the reason for all the people leaving? Just like either the the curriculum or just if you were deemed difficult to deal with they just would be like you're out of here you know it was that whole tough love type deal it wasn't the lord of the flies with you know bullying peers oh there was some of that because i mean yeah there was definitely bullies catholic high schools are notoriously lord of the flies oh yeah there was some of that i mean there was definitely some of that and and there was um and it would even be like societally like like i feel like the institution kind of cared more about their reputation than they did about the students sometimes like like one kid got a dui they kicked him out of school for that it happened over the summer he was not in school i don't know if that's normal for schools to do like i honestly don't know not public schools yeah i wouldn't think so but 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 they they kicked him out for that he wasn't allowed back you know a mistake that he made not in school school was not in session and they were like nope so done. did you do all four years? Yeah, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> I made it through. Um, and, and But I, I didn't particularly care for it. I mean, I, the education I got was just fine. You know, like, like there were some great teachers and some not so great teachers. Um, it completely turned me off to organized religion because, you know, as I got older, you know, the explanations we were given for things, you know, were just more and more absurd. Um, so I, I didn't necessarily love my time at all um but you know i don't think i would have loved high school in any capacity i don't think it was really for me but 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 i was just you know it was just sort of like pay your dues and get out and and then when i think about 
you know, just some of the little things associated with that whole, like, all-boys school and this and that, which is very, you know, very kind of, like, primitive and, and kind of very, like, 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 I would never, if I ever had kids, I wouldn't want them to be in a situation like that. And even little things. So, you know, like I said, my family's Italian-American. Over the past few years, I've really made an effort to be closer with the family over in Italy. Um, you know, it's just I, I think the pandemic has kind of taught us all, first of all, the global village we're living in, and, and second of all, that life is precious. You know what I mean? And so that was one thing in my life I really wanted to make more of an effort. Like I wanted to be closer to the family. Where in Italy? Uh, they're scattered throughout. They're in Bologna, uh, Florence, and then near Naples oh is God, where most of them are. Florence rules. Yeah. That's my, so great. My family, so they recently sold it. They used to have a hotel in the heart of Florence. They, what? oh, Paul, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be like, you are, what were you thinking when I tell you this? But when I was 22, they said to me, they were like, come live in the guest room, work for us, travel on the weekends, learn Italian properly. I passed it up because I really wanted to do stand up. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, <laughs> well, at the time it would now here's you're the, making me angry. I get it. <laughs> I, I I don't blame you. Sometimes when I look back on that, I'm like, what was I thinking? But um, and the crazy thing is now, you know, English stand up is so universal that I could have lived in Florence and, right. and done it. But back then, I mean, this was, you know, early aughts. So. so when you say in the middle of Florence, like near the uh, is it Arno River? Oh, yeah. Near the Arno, near, I mean, yeah, like Piazza Michelangelo, walkable. Uh, obviously, the Duomo and everything, walkable. They had a hotel right there. And they said, yeah, come, you know, like, we'll take care of the paperwork. Just come, you know, we'll give you plenty of time to travel, take a train wherever you want, learn Italian proper, get your master's out here. I regret it. And and now, you know, we're I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, the next chapter of my life, you know, might be over there. Do and they still own it? No, they don't. They okay. sold it. <laughs> they sold it. Uh, but all my family's still over there. And, you know, now that I, I tour more, you know, like I've, I've been doing more stuff in the UK and stuff like that. I did Edinburgh in 2023. So I'm thinking like, yeah, maybe I want to kind of take everything and move it over there. Uh, so I, I kind of think about that. I, I'm not – I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but my mentality is, okay, I passed it up the first time. I'm not going to get a third chance. So I want to maybe not pass it up the second time. That sounds so – fun i have no idea what it would be like in reality but I yeah mean, it no sure so and, and, romantic it, and like one of those things you look back you know when you're 80 and go i am so glad i did that but ron you'll be able to look back and go i blew it yeah i blew it <laughs> and then you'll die yeah exactly so uh, so i i we got a little so i was going to say the the connection to high school in this mm-hmm. so at the all boys school there was an all girls school across the street so at the all-girls school, they had Italian. And at the all-boys school, they had Latin. And uh, obviously, you may have you may be a girl and want to learn Latin, or you may be a boy and want to learn Italian. All the boys must have wanted to learn Italian. There's right? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them. Well, here's yeah. the thing. So at the time, they told you that colleges really wanted to see three years of a language. That was real important. You had to have three years of a language. Um, so my options to do three years were either French or Spanish or Latin, because here's the thing. 
you could take Italian as a, a boy over at the girls' school, but you had to wait until your junior year because I guess freshman and sophomore year, you you they, you wouldn't know what to do. You'd see girls in the classroom and, and you would just you would just explode in your pants. Like I don't know what they thought was going to happen, but you were not ready until your junior year. And then you couldn't take three years. So you couldn't take three years. So instead of taking Italian, which even back then I had an interest in doing, I had to take French, which you no know, French. Uh, to French, I, I just my family's over in Italy, and Italian just was more important to me. So, so I took French for three years. Um, by the time I took the college exams, I had forgotten all of it anyway. So in college, I had to take two years of a language anyway. So then in college, I took Italian, which was awesome because I, I got to I, I got to study abroad in Florence for a little bit and, and meet all the family for the first time. Um, so that meant a lot to me, and and, and sometimes. I mean, it's not a big deal because it's like I'm working on it now, whatever, and I still got time. But sometimes I get a little frustrated when I when I mix up a French number or something like that. I, I just get frustrated thinking it would have been nice if I could have just taken Italian for the entire duration, you yeah. know. And yeah. so, so yeah. But and so today, what are what? Oh, oh. Um, so in therapy, mm-hmm. what did you learn, or was there anything you processed in? your anger issues that, well, is there, that helped you or turned light bulbs on in your head. Let me ask you a question. What's the difference between counseling and therapy or is I it think just it's the same thing? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I have been in therapy for it and then I've also been in classes and in the classes I've been in, in every situation, I was the only one there who was not court ordered to be there. Okay. Um, well, now are you calling the classes counseling? To me, when I think of counseling, I think of a one-on-one with a therapist. No, no. I'm call- the classes, I'm saying something different. So I've done okay. counseling okay. one-on-one. Yes. And then I've done classes where there was gotcha. an instructor and it was like an anger management course. I was the only person in all these situations not court-ordered to be there because because I do think like we don't view anger – as a society, we don't view anger problems the same way we view – you know, other issues. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it could be debated all day whether that's right or wrong. But but I, I do think there, there should be a little more given to it as far as, like, something like anger management would never be com- covered under health insurance. I, I think it Which is ridiculous. Be. I think it, it should be. Absolutely. Yeah. You think so, about everything that it affects. And I think that if it was a little more like openly discussed and if people more openly said like yeah I, I i struggle with this and i don't want to be that guy i don't want to be that guy that flies off the handle i don't want to be that guy that has to apologize to my friends i don't want to be that guy you know and um i think maybe i wouldn't have been the only court-ordered person there you know what i mean and, and so 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 i do think it's taken me a long time just as a human to talk openly about it um, and to have it appear in my creative work, um, you know, which I, I just finished a movie and, and it is kind of among the themes in that movie. And what's the movie called? So the movie's called Left at Wall. It is out now. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll mention all the screenings Say at the end. Again? Left at Wall. 
Uh, um, spell that out for us. Uh, just like left, L-E-F-T-A-T-W-A-L-L? That's it. Okay. Yeah, left at wall. Um, we finished it officially in November of 23, did a soft premiere at the San Pedro International Film Festival, which is where it was filmed. And yeah, anger is among the themes in that movie. So it's the first time I've ever, first of all, it's my first movie. Second of all, it's the first time I've ever approached that issue. Mm-hmm. And I decided, I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to shy away from this anymore. I'm going to like, like, this is part of who I am. And, you know, this is part of my journey. And, you know, if, if people have similar reactions to even yours, where it's like, I never would have known that about you. Well, I guess then I'm, I wouldn't say a success story because this is a lifelong but journey. I'm clearly then but, working on but myself I'm working and on seeing it. some yeah, results. I'm seeing some results and I'm working on it. So, so great. And, and if someone else is, is kind of in that boat, you know, maybe they're like, okay, it can be done and it can be done through just various, you know, I mean, another, I mentioned the counting to 10 thing. Here's kind of a fun one. And, uh, and I think eventually I'm going to embrace this because when I was younger, I had very long hair and a lot of piercings. So naturally my nickname was Captain Ron. And, uh, but an eye patch, because sometimes like the way you process anger, and, and this is also can lead to like migraines and stuff. And I struggle with migraines. You had an eye patch? Um, yeah. And, and it's something like sometimes wearing an eye patch because it's like the way that eye patch will sort of like dull. You needed it or you chose to wear well, it? Well, I chose it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I chose it. Well, you've said everything that in, in, in that one description of yourself with the long hair, the piercings, and the eye patch. Yeah, all choices. <laughs> long hair was yes, a choice. It's all fitting together. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's all fitting together. But yeah, the eye patch is like like when you wear an eye patch, it'll like kind of – I there there was an explanation behind it in one of the books I read, but but like something about like the way your senses get like electrified when you're really angry, like an eye patch will actually help you. It can actually like soothe you, and it also helps with migraines I get. So I'll occasionally really? just sort of, yeah I'll occasionally put on an eye patch, and and I've actually out and about or just at home. Usually just at home. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. But but I've I've ta- but I guess always just at home. Now that I think about it, I said usually, but then I'm like, oh, I've never done it in public though. But it's to the point though where I've actually, when I've seen other eye patch people, mm-hmm. I have asked, you know, very diplomatically because I don't want to sound like I'm prying, but I'd be like, hey, if you don't mind my asking, you know, why? Um, and I because I always wonder if I'll come across someone who has the same reason. As me. And do you explain? Uh, used I, to oh, wear yeah, one. I totally explained. Okay. And, okay. and so far, everyone's found it interesting. Like, no one found yeah. it like, 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 oh, why are you asking? They, they, right. they found it interesting why I was asking. And we end up having a pretty fun conversation. But, that's uh, such a trip. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that, that's one of the things, too. I'll kind of do like an eye patch type deal. Um, and, um, and then even just the breathing exercises are a big one. And, oh, and then pre- just. It's like one of the simplest, most accessible yeah. tools. And so often we. Forget to just take a fucking deep breath. Just oh, pause. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you talk about, I mean, a lot of things that I hear from a lot of callers on, on this is exercise and stuff like that. I, first of all, I live near the water now, which has been incredible. Like, like, like going, being able to see the ocean every day has changed my life. And honestly, through the pandemic, it might have saved my life. Who knows? But like, you know, having going through those times, being in San Pedro where I could just walk to the beach every day and seeing something as vast as the ocean and realizing, okay, this time will pass. This is crazy. We've never been through a pandemic as a society in my lifetime. What's going to happen? But this will 
pass. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like we will keep going as it, because look at this vast ocean that's all around you. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's very just life saving. I like to play the Irish game hurling. I, I like to hurl. I don't know if you ever. It is the most fascinating. You've played game. it? The first, no, I've not played it, but came across it on TV years ago. And I was addicted to watching it. Had really? no idea what the rules were. I just couldn't believe that guys were swinging clubs and not wearing helmets. And oh, I was a, like, it can be a rough game. Yeah, I was like, this is insane. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. The reason, so the the stick kind of looks like uh, a field hockey stick, right? And the reason for that is because originally they played with axes. That was just what they used. Like, that was what they had. So they would just play with axes. And then I guess they decided, hey, it'd be cooler if no one died while we do this. So they yes. started just using sticks. But you see a lot of all kinds of other sports in it. And it's because it is – some will say it's the oldest sport. I'm not going to make that qualifier because that that that's a subject of debate. But I will say it is among the oldest sports in the world. So it predates baseball. It predates golf. It predates um, football, soccer um field hockey and you see bits and pieces of all those sports in it yeah it's kind um, of like rugby with sticks yeah sh- throwing yeah. almost like a high live yeah ball oh yeah the ball travels so fast and the one of the things that i love about it is that the teams that compete in it and if it's exclusively ireland uh or is there some in scotland and, and i think England? it's in i think it's another as far as places that really compete that might just be ireland yeah yes but but the, the but teams are yeah. the people from that town oh yeah and it that's it it's purely for the most part the people from that so the real pride for the fans of these are our neighbors playing oh it's very much for the hoi polloi man and there are um you know, there's clubs all over the U.S. Like, like we have a club in Los Angeles, and I've been to a few like workouts. I've never competed. Uh, I don't know if I ever will. I mean, I, I it's kind of just something I do for fun. I had on my no own. idea it was played here. Oh yeah, it's yeah. played here. It, it's actually, you know, it's kind of crazy. Sometimes when I go on tour, I'll get invited to play by by people who just know that I play it, and they'll, they'll like tweet at me or something. And so I've learned a little bit about pockets where it's bigger. And uh, of all places, Indianapolis has a huge. Really? Yeah. Indianapolis has this huge hurling. And I'm a Hoosier. I went to IU. You know. Yep, so did I. That's that's right. Yeah. I forgot we had that in common. Yeah. Yes. Spent a lot of time in Indianapolis. Some great people. Yeah. It's a, it sounds so fucking generic. Yeah. <laughs> it is a wonderful place. And Bloomington, I mean. And, and no helmets? I don't know if they wear helmets in the club or not. I have no idea. But but do but, you yeah. wear one when you play? No. I mean, usually I'm just pucking around by myself. That's... Usually I'm just like you know just doing exercises by my. I mean, it's a great workout and it, it's it's so much fun. I have an extra stick, so you know, come out, man. I'll show you how to play. It's if a, it's I were a able to to run without paying for it the next day, I, <laughs> I would I would take you up on it. Uh, so the name of your movie is Left at Wall, and where yeah. can people find it? So if you go to my website, romplicone.com, we have screenings going on right now. Uh, we're doing the screening and theatrical run with it, and then I'm going to release it digitally. Uh, some of the cities so far, we got Chicago, we got Tucson, Arizona, Omaha, Nebraska, Washington, D.C., and then in my hometown of Pittsburgh and in Los Angeles, we're going to do a show, a screening, and a Q&A after. So I'm going to be doing stand-up. Then you're going to be doing a screening of the film and then a Q&A after. So you can get tickets and all information at romplacone.com. And, and then once we're done with the theatrical release, we'll release it digitally everywhere. 
Well, buddy, thank you. Uh, anything else that you'd like to plug? Where can people find you on social media? I am at Ron Placone on everything. So just Ron, P as in Paul, L-A-C-O-N-E, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I'm on all of them. So yeah, just just follow me there. No you wonder find... you're angry. Yeah, right? No kidding, right? I'm, I'm on Threads. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm on all of them. You gotta be. But, uh, but yeah. Dude, thanks so much. Thank you. We uh, will put the links to all of Ron's stuff in the show notes. So... Uh... Be sure to check that out. We are going to take a quick break and see if we have any sponsors. This is from the comment on someone's survey. Um, This is filled out by a guy who calls himself a hot pocket filled with WD-40. It doesn't sound good. Although if the crust is perfectly browned, but I got to imagine the WD-40 gets really warm. Uh, What would you like to say about a survey you heard on the podcast? And he writes, I was listening to an episode from a couple of years ago, and there was a survey about a woman struggling with her relationship with her parents. I think you were wrong. To that survey taker, Paul's a jackass that cooked cable on basic chicken. Don't listen to him. I don't know if if, uh, your survey is serious or not. I have the feeling that it's not. But even if it is, I love it. Uh. Any comments to make the podcast better? Haven't you heard you encourage people to write reviews in a while? I think many of us that are already patrons could take a minute to leave one with a re- with a reminder on this week's episode. I just followed and gave five stars on Spotify despite never using it for podcasts. Five stars every Friday. Love you, Paul. That's so nice of you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your hot pocket. And by that, I mean your butthole. This is from the Shame and Secret survey. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Colorful Colorful Raven. She identifies as pansexual. She's in her 30s, says that she was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. When I was about six, I had a sleepover with my cousin, uh, cousin only by marriage, who was about 13 at the time. While sleeping in his bed, he put a flashlight under the covers and looked at my genitals. I don't remember for sure if he touched me, but I'm pretty sure he did. I went years without even admitting to myself that it happened. Then about five years ago, I finally decided to allow myself to think about it and told my boyfriend at the time about it. Once sharing the news, it was like something switched inside of me. All of a sudden, I couldn't bear being touched there. It would instantly send my body into panic mode. I decided to share it with my parents and sister as well as an attempt to help heal myself. I didn't have a therapist at the time, so that seemed like the best I could do. My mother was crushed that, quote, she let this happen to me, unquote, by allowing me to spend the night. And my sister said she actually remembers me telling her when it initially happened and also shared that she had weird sexual encounters with him as well. He either made comments about her breasts or touched them. I can't specifically remember. I feel guilt about not coming out with the truth sooner because now I'm curious if he crossed the line with my other cousins as well. I'm happy he isn't in our lives anymore since my uncle divorced his mom a while ago. After a while, the panic from being touched has gone away, and I feel I've finally been able to heal from it by talking about it. Thank you for sharing that, and and what a great example of the the power of processing something. And it kind of bums me out that your mom made it about her 
you know, letting this happen to you. I can, I can understand that she had that feeling. That seems like a pretty motherly instinct. But, you know, my thought is if that first thing that the child needs is, is comfort and, and validation. And maybe she did. And you just didn't write that there. But, um, yeah. Uh, she writes that she's never been physically or emotionally abused. Darkest thoughts. I often think about my best friend while masturbating. It wears me out because I honestly have zero desire to hook up with her in real life. We've been best friends for over a decade now, and although we've drunkenly made out many times, we've never been interested in each other as more than friends. We're constantly naked around each other after showering, getting dressed, and she's posed nude for me many times. I'm a nude photographer. I can't imagine actually doing these things with her, but for some weird reason, it really turns me on to imagine going down on her. Darkest Secrets. When I was around six years old, I had a play date with a girl from my school. I'm not sure how exactly this ended up happening, although I know that she initiated it. But we used a plastic toy wrench to clamp each other's clitorises. It made things worse uh to make things worse her older brother walked in on us i don't think he ever told anyone though and i've only shared this with my boyfriend of a decade now x i know we were just kids and i shouldn't feel ashamed of it but for some reason it's difficult for me to admit that this happened to others that this happened to others uh, maybe because i feel like it's just something that doesn't need to be shared uh, although i did it did feel nice to finally share it with my boyfriend. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Anything involving going down on women or being fingered by women. I often think about hooking up with a close friend of mine who's a lesbian. We actually did, quote, cross the line, unquote, and have sex a handful of times recently. Our little secret ended up being revealed after she kissed me in public where a few of our friends were, and that caused a lot of turmoil in our friend group. My ex-boyfriend, who I'm still friends with and is also in the same friend group, was crushed by this news. Sharing this doesn't really make me feel any different as I've shared it with close friends before, and I don't think there's anything shameful about wanting to only have sex with women. Um, have you shared these things with others? I'm an open book, so there's not much I don't share with others. It generally goes very well, which is great. That's awesome to hear because, oh God, it is. it can be life-saving to have a supportive, non-judgmental uh, group of friends who understand boundaries. It can just be so amazing. How do you feel after writing these things down? It feels nice to have another outlet to share these deep personal things with. Sometimes I feel not everyone wants to hear it, although I'm always anxious to share deep things with anyone who is willing to listen. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Sexual desires are nothing to be ashamed of, and we all mess up sometimes. Forgive yourself. Thank you for that. Uh, any comments to make the podcast better? It's so helpful to hear experts talk about the brain and science behind things. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've got an episode a recording. I don't know when it will air. It might be a couple of months from now, but with uh, an expert um, on that, the scientific connection between um, emotions 
and the brain. I'm always looking for the science in things because I, I, having discovered tools to give me the life that I never imagined, and I don't mean external life, I mean internal life. Having discovered the tools to do that, I 100% believe that it's not outside of science. And I'm talking, you know, a lot about spirituality and opening up and, you know, being of service and, and stuff like that. I honestly believe it's one with science. It's not outside of, of science. This is from the love survey, and this is filled out by local horse girl. And she writes, I love chilly Sunday mornings when I'm the first person walking into the barn in the morning, opening the door and feeling the warm air contrast the outside cold, turning on all the lights and having all the horses nickering and calling to me when they hear me walk in, knowing they're about to get their much anticipated breakfast. I love when I get into bed and call for my cat and I can hear her running to the bedroom from wherever she is in the house, jumping into bed and plopping down right next to me in her favorite spot, purring up a storm the whole time. It's funny when I, when I picture people's cats, I don't, I never imagine that them, them coming when called to like dogs. It's, I don't think I've ever seen that. Uh, my girlfriend's, cat pablo it's like you gotta you gotta put on a show to get pablo to come up uh also every day being greeted by our dog when i get home from work after he gets his dinner he knows he's gonna go for a walk and starts picking up socks and his toys running around the house with them then when we're starting our walk he's so excited that he can't contain himself and jumps up and down next to me getting fully airborne He's an older rescue that came from a puppy mill, and seeing the joy he gets from these little things is amazing. I love that. I think I've told you guys that when <laughs> when I would put my, I haven't done it in a while, but I would put on uh, inline skates and take Gracie for a walk because then she can run when she feels like it and I can keep up with her. But when I would start to put the skates on, uh, she would grab shoes or slippers and toss them up in the air like she's celebrating. Uh, and then finally, uh, she writes, I love the smell of rags that have been washed with bleach. That's an interesting one. I don't think, uh, I don't think I got a thing for bleach. This is from the religious abuse slash trauma survey filled out by a woman who calls herself a nighty night owl. And she writes, I was disfellowshipped, uh, in parentheses, shunned by the elders of my Jehovah's Witness congregation at 21 for having oral sex with my boyfriend. I had my first depressive breakdown because of this. I had nightmares of my friends kicking and spitting on me in disgust, calling me a slut. That boyfriend was my first at everything romantic and sexual. Jehovah's Witnesses don't have sex or any sexual touching until marriage. Oh my God, Paul, just the guilt of all the firsts. His touching my breasts, dot, dot, dot. Anything sexual that teenagers experience was deemed disgusting. I'd cry and cry, even though it was all consensual. Long story short, I officially left the religion about 15 years ago for good. My lifetime of suppressing my feelings has come to a head. At times, I feel I'm still figuring out who I really am. I struggle with self-worth. I cry over anything, literally. I have, no con I have no control over this. I'm so angry with how I was raised. My parents are so fucking happy. 
Why shouldn't their religion work for me too? To trump it all, I had a stroke a year ago and had to move back in with family who are still witnesses. I can't escape, LOL. Oh my God, that is, that is so awful. There is so much to break down and understand regarding Jehovah's Witnesses. Can I suggest a podcast with the survivor of this religion? Uh, there are no support groups for this that I can find. There's groups on Facebook, but no one really speaks out. Uh, there is a website called This JW Life, and I've heard good things about that. And we had uh, Katie Love, who was a guest recently, talked uh, about being a Jehovah's Witness. I don't think I can't remember how much of the survey she talked about that. Um, and and we did record somebody years ago, a um, couple of years ago, who uh, might even be connected to this JW life. I can't remember. Sorry. <laughs> My memory is so bad. And I think they asked that their episode be taken down um, because they were being harassed because I tried to search for it and I couldn't find, I searched, uh, mental pod Jehovah's witness and, uh, Katie love was the only episode that came up. So I apologize that, that, uh, there aren't more, um, Members trying to escape often stay so that they're not shunned. You can't even speak to immediately family members when this happens. Witnesses are only supposed to have witness friends. So when you're shunned, you literally have no one for support. I've had to leave behind my life of 30 years, 30 years of community and friendship. I'm so depressed and anxious. I push the couple of true friends away. I'm 46 years old, more agnostic than anything now, taking a combination of three head meds and in-talk therapy. Thanks for listening. I wish I could go into more detail. Have your experiences affected how you view that specific religion or organized religion as a whole? Oh, yes. I don't believe in organized religion at all. Jehovah's Witnesses are considered cultish. Oh my God, and don't get me started on the sexual abuse cover-ups. My brother was abused in eighth grade. Another witness guy, 18 years old, only got a slap on the wrist for this. So infuriating. My brother didn't tell me in 20, until 25 years after the fact of the abuse. My parents never talked about with him, but once. Checking, no checking in him? I think she meant uh, on him. No therapy. What the fuck? Okay, sorry. I was all over the map with this. Thank you, Paul, for all you do. You are so appreciated. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that's uh, that's really fucked. I, yeah, I am. There's some good religious congregations about there. But God, I feel like the majority of organized Religion, that's probably just me being judgmental, but I don't know. I think anything where there is a hierarchy is just bound to, to go wrong. This is from the love survey filled out by Don't Give Up 30, and they write, I love the feeling of long car rides when it rains. I love reading old vintage books, and I love hearing my nieces and nephew laughing. Yeah, that those are great. I love just... Just hearing or watching kids be be kids. This is from the sexual abuse or violation 
uh, of a young male by older female survey. I always feel so self-conscious when I read the title of that. Like, like somebody's listening and going, what? This was filled out by a guy who calls himself Akiyuki. Uh, and he writes, uh, let's see. He writes, I was, and this one is so, I don't think I've ever read one quite like this. Um, it, it's, it's like a movie could be made around this. It's all right. Just read it, Paul. I was 10 and very close with my neighbor who was 24 due to us living in a very rural area and having no other neighbors. After she was diagnosed with brain cancer, her husband left her. Sounds like a good guy. She really felt better if she joined me in childish activities like coloring, playing with toys, and other things like that. Her highly fundamentalist Christian parents never let her do those things as a kid. My parents were always working, but when they were home, they were always chiding me for being too immature. I was smart enough to skip three grades, so why was I being such a kid? Only with my very unlikely friend could I be myself, and only with me could she be herself. As her condition got worse, her joy faded, and I could see she was going downhill emotionally. We talked about sex, because two boys at my school had tried to assault me sexually and been interrupted by a teacher, and she was so good about convincing me it wasn't my fault. She confided confided in me that her parents made her get married to her husband because he raped her, and they viewed that as the correct thing to do to save her purity. She'd never had consensual sex. She started crying when it hit her that she never would. I offered to help. We talked about it, and she initially thought that I was just offering to be kind. But I showed her my journal where I documented all my feelings for her and how wonderful I thought she was. I loved her. I still do. We had sex four times before her condition required hospitalization, and she passed away. I didn't tell anyone. I knew it wasn't normal, but I also knew that she was in a lot of emotional and physical pain, and I wanted to help her. I loved her. No one else was there for her. No one was there for me, so I understood what that was like. I don't know what effect this has had on me long term. I'm not sure I can see the situation objectively enough to assess that. Uh, Remembering these things, what feelings come up? I mourn the loss of her, but I also hate that life was so cruel to her. I don't understand why such awful things happen to someone so kind. I've had wet dreams about what happened, but the connection wasn't purely sexual. It was different. It was like coming home, finding peace, being with someone who was willing to be totally vulnerable and place herself in my hands. It was an honor. It was loving. One night stands and things like that don't compare. I know it's, quote, wrong, unquote, and that she was an adult and I was a child. I'm not ashamed. I did what I thought was right. And if I brought her some peace, then I'm counting that as a win. Do you feel any damage was done? I have no idea. The circumstance... uh, circumstances are so unique and my opinions are so biased based on my perceptions of her that I genuinely can't tell. Wow. Wow. 
I mean, the image of a 24-year-old and a 10-year-old is really hard to get over. And, um, and I like that you haven't locked down your opinion that you're fine or it hasn't affected you. And I think um, I would really be interested to know what a therapist who specializes in sexual assault um, has to say about that. And I can't imagine that they would be like, well, you know, that's a fine exception to it. And I think it just goes to to show how complicated the details of things um, can be. But I don't know, I got, as you were describing it, it just, I just got this groomy vibe from her towards you. And who knows, maybe that her husband wasn't an asshole and he left her because of something that she didn't share. I don't know. Very complex, but thank you for sharing that. And finally, this is uh, from the love survey filled out by Kyle Person, and they write, I love that every morning my dog Leslie picks a toy of the day. She has a few toys in her rotation, lobster, weasel, binky, duck, ball sock, or is it ball sack? Maybe it's a typo. Maybe she punches somebody's ball sack like it's one of those speed bags in the boxing gym. I mean, isn't that really what low-hanging testicles are for? I mean, it's begging you to put on some gloves. Not the heavy ones, not the big ones, because then you're hitting the thighs. I'm talking about the little ones, the MMA, the UFC gloves. Just work that speed bag. <laughs> I don't know exactly how the selection process works, but every morning... She decides which toy she wants to play with in that day. And for the rest of the day, it's as, it's as if the other toys don't exist. She'll be begrudgingly chase Binky on a lobster day if lobster is out of sight. But once she finds lobster, Binky is dead to her. The next day might be a Binky day or another lobster day. Who knows? So far this week, we've had four weasel days in a row. The only exception to this is chicken. My dad gave it to us, and usually when he buys Leslie toys, he buys one for our house and one for his house so she can play over there. He did not buy a chicken for his house, probably because he secretly hates me. Chicken is a god-awful rubber chicken made for dogs, and it's the loudest and most obnoxious dog toy I have ever experienced. Leslie is obsessed with chicken. If she had it her way, every day would be chicken day. So we have had to hide it and only take it out for special occasions. If Leslie finds where we've hidden it, her activity for the rest of eternity is sitting perfectly still and staring at the hiding spot, whining quietly every once in a while until we cave in and get it out for her. <laughs> I also love how Leslie treats other people. She was very fearful of other people when I first got her, but I've done a lot of work with her. And now when we're out on walks and we walk by someone, whether a stranger or a neighbor we know well, she acts like they're the most exciting person she's ever met and she can't wait to say hi. When people ask if they can pet her, I love seeing their smiles and I'm so proud of what a good dog she's become. I like to think 
that she's brightened just a little bit of their day. That is so good. I love the details of that. Thank you, everyone, that filled out a survey. And uh, I'm going to play a little bit of music that I uh, wrote and recorded. And uh, if you're out there and you're you're feeling stuck, just never forget that the help is out there. Our tribe is out there. It's just a matter of finding them. And uh, you're not alone. And thanks for listening.